It's good to see everybody today. Hope you're doing well. The Golden Brothers shared a lot of life together. Well, twins usually do share a lot of life together, don't they? Uh, they were born together, they grow up together, uh, they learn a lot of things about life together. But as they grew up, they, each one of them became jealous and envious of the other's success. They were very competitive with each other. And finally, as their mother was dying, Elliot accused his twin brother, Al, of not doing enough for her. Well, this led to many years of Al not responding to the attempts by his brother Elliot, by other members of the family, he just shut them all out. Finally, Elliot sent his brother an email telling him a story about two men who had a stream that was dividing their properties. One man hired a carpenter to build a fence along that stream, but the carpenter got his instructions mixed up and instead of building a fence, he built a bridge by mistake. Al Golden thought about the email that his brother Elliot had written him, and he wrote back, I'd like to walk over that bridge. Folks, we have a choice. We can choose to build bridges, or we can choose to build fences. That's our choice. But remember this, love builds bridges. Sin builds fences. Indeed, the Apostle Paul in second, I mean in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 14, calls sin the dividing wall of hostility. And it can only be broken down by the ultimate expression of God's love, his son Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. We can choose to let our petty rivalries, even insults, divide us, or we can choose to love as God first loved us. You know, bridges are important, aren't they? They really are. And our state really illustrates the importance of bridges, especially one bridge. Okay, the Mackinac Bridge. We all know the Mackinac Bridge. Uh, Glenda and I were uh, blessed to go over that bridge in April, and I was blessed to go over it again with Arnett in May as we went up there for the UP Women's Retreat and then Arnett and I for the Men's Retreat. Uh, it's an incredible bridge. It, it, it does so many great things. But it's more than a convenience. It's commerce. Uh, the volume and types of vehicles that can use that bridge make it much easier to transport goods and people back and forth within our fair state. But to keep that bridge operational, it has to be constantly maintained. You know, they start at one end and begin painting it. By the time they get to the other end, they start on the other end again and start painting it all over. Uh, it, it just has to be constantly kept up. The, the pylons have to be checked, the cables have to be checked and tightened and made sure everything is just right. And why do they have to do that so constantly? Because there's a whole lot of forces working against that bridge staying standing. Uh, you've got wind, 
You've got rain. You've got ice, as you can see in this picture. Um, you've got a wear and tear, uh, erosion, animals doing what they do in structures like that. Uh, motorists even conspire for the integrity of this bridge. So it takes that constant care to keep it functioning for the millions of people who cross it. Well, God's love builds bridges too. And the big one, the big bridge, is the bridge that Jesus built for us to the Father through his life on earth and especially his sacrificial death, his burial, and most importantly, his resurrection. He smashed that dividing wall and built a bridge. And over that bridge, we can communicate directly with our Father. Not through other human beings, but directly to God. The curtain was torn in the Holy of Holies. And the way was opened up for us to have direct contact with our Father in heaven. But as powerfully built as that bridge is, there are also forces working against it. Did you notice in our passage uh, that we started off with, our memorization passage in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Did you notice that Paul, when he writes, notes that there are two things that love does. What are those two things? Patient and kind. Okay. Then there are eight things that love does not do. Do you think he's making a point here? There's a lot of forces lined up against that. Then there are five more things that love does to be the things that love is, patient and kind. It's an interesting way that he puts that thing together. But folks, the real dangers, there are real dangers to our salvation if we fail to maintain our bridges, if we fail to maintain them and, and allow those eight things that love does not do become things that we do. And it can damage our relationships both human and divine. It's important that we keep these bridges maintained. Today we're going to look at the first of the things that love does not do. And that is envy. It is no accident, I think, that this appears first on the list. Envy is something that humanity has dealt with since there was more than one person. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's just the way it is. Uh, and envy is very closely related to its cousins, greed and jealousy. Uh, they all kind of stem from that root. Think about it. How did the serpent tempt Adam and Eve? Didn't he cause them to envy that which God had forbidden them to eat? The fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He made them envy all that they were missing out on by not being able to eat it. They envied what Satan made them think they were missing out on. And as a result, caused that bridge that God had built then to be broken. That relationship between God and man was broken until the Son of Man came and restored that bridge again. Even their children, Adam and Eve's children, struggled. The very first murder recorded into the Bible is due to Cain's envy of his brother Abel. Abel, his animal sacrifice pleased God. Cain's grain sacrifice, being a farmer, did not please God. 
Envy took root and soon produced its poisonous fruit. Even among Jesus' apostles, envy took root. Don't you remember as they're walking down the pathway, they're arguing with each other of who is going to be the greatest. Who is going to sit on the right and left hand of the, of the, of the, of the Messiah when he came into his kingdom? Peter envied John's close relationship with his rabbi. Remember, John was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was a special relationship there. Peter envied it. Of course, Jesus told Peter to mind his own business. You've got a whole lot of things you need to work on yourself. <laughs> and he did. And by the grace of God, he was able to work on those and become an effective servant of his. Paul mentions in his letters how his opponents envied Paul's status as an apostle and put him down so that they could lift themselves up. The struggle is real, folks. In his book, Status Anxiety, Alan DeBottom writes this. Given the vast inequalities we are daily confronted with, the most notable feature of envy may be that we have that we manage not to envy everyone. We envy only those whom we feel ourselves to be like. You know, I don't envy Bill Gates. Sometimes I pity him. <laughs> uh, I don't envy Mark Zuckerberg. I don't envy Jeff Bezos. I don't envy Oprah. Okay, I don't envy the super rich. Why? Because it's out of my league. I can't even relate to, I can't even envision the money that they have, the life that they live. But I can compare myself with my peers. And there's where the trouble starts. Keeping up with the Joneses, remember that? That's a real thing. It's not just a slogan. And it may not be the material things that are getting us. It may be our comparison of status at work, or maybe our kids' success, or possibly even who's being around the longest. Envy is an insidious beast that must be tamed. When God is speaking with Cain about his sacrifice, he tells him to do what is right. To be careful, because sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain tragically became enslaved by his sin and murdered his brother. James gives a very good example of how sin works in his letter. In James, the first chapter, verses 14 and 15, he writes that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a cautionary tale. True or not, I don't know. But I think it's possible. It tells of three churches in a small town. All three were struggling to survive. But one of the churches called a new minister, and this minister was extremely gifted. His sermons were relevant and gripping. His personality had the loving compassion of Mother Teresa, coupled with the dynamic charisma of Tom Cruise. He could teach in ways that made people drool to know more. People saw God through his ministry. 
So folks began to drift and find their way into his church on Sunday. That's where the problems began. Because you see, the other two preachers met together and decided that surely God was not in such a flamboyant style of ministry. Obviously, he preached a gospel that was false. Then they remembered a rumor that they had heard somewhere. Was there some kind of sexual indiscretion? Who knows? But the rumor spread anyway. And people began to wonder. And the preacher's family was shamed. And in a short while, they left town. You see, envy found its mark. And it turned two preachers of the truth into liars. Envy made the cross of Jesus Christ hypocrisy. The struggle is real. The takeaway here is that we need to rule over envy or envy will rule over us. But if we can tame this monster, if we can keep it from mastering us, it can lead us to some wonderful opportunities to enjoy this life. In her 2013 book, Simple Dreams, Linda Ronstadt, who is a, I didn't realize this, 11-time Grammy award-winning singer. I, I, I knew I liked her music. I didn't know she'd won 11 Grammys. But she recalls the first time that she heard a fellow singer, Emmylou Harris, uh, sing. She writes, my first reaction to it was slightly conflicted. First, I loved her singing wildly. Second, in my opinion, she was doing what I was trying to do, only she was doing it a whole lot better. Then came a split-second decision I had to make that affected the way I listened to and enjoyed music for the rest of my life. I thought, if I allowed myself to become envious of Emmy, it would be painful to listen to her, and I would deny myself the pleasure of it. If I simply surrendered to loving what she did, I could take my rightful place among her drooling Emmylou fans. And then maybe, just maybe, I might be able to sing with her. She writes, I surrendered. Emmylou, or Linda, went on to not only sing with Emmylou, but to record three award-winning albums with Emmylou, Dolly Parton, and herself. She was able to tame that beast and as a result, able to enjoy that music and even become a part of the life of that person that she admired so much. How can we tame the beast? How can we make that split second decision, as Linda put it, when we are faced with this temptation to envy the success or the possessions of others? How can we avoid having to make that decision in the first place? I think that's really the question. And there is where most of us fall down. We don't take the steps beforehand to avoid the trap when it's sprung. The Apostle Paul urges us in Philippians, the eighth chap fourth chapter, verse 8, to focus on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. When we let ourselves focus on the negative, well, we soon found ourselves right down in the gutter with all the other negative people out there. We need to let the love of God fill us so that our response to the success of a brother 
or sister is redemptive instead of destructive. But even more important, we need to get specific. Uh, Gil Beers uh, offers uh, what he calls an antidote, uh, and I would call it maybe even an inoculation uh, against envy. And he writes the following. If I think about your success, plan for your success, pray for your success, genuinely hope for your success, and work for your success, then I will rejoice in your success. We have to wish for the success of others. We have to pray for it, hope for it, and work for it as well. Only then can we truly follow Paul's exhortation in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, this is not always easy. Those who are consumed with envy will continue to backstab us and scheme against us. That's just the way it is. They will accuse and slander, for they are folks enslaved by a monster. And they need to be set free. Christians, we are set free. We are no longer chained with sin. We have been set free by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has been demolished. And in its place stands a bridge. A bridge of grace that crosses the gulf between us and God. It allows us to walk into the Holy of Holies and stand before God. It empowers us to be more than conquerors through Christ. We can have mastery over our sins, not because we're strong, but because he who is in us is strong and has already overcome sin. We must not let sin rule in our bodies. Paul reminds us in Romans 6 chapter that when we were baptized into Christ, we died. We were buried and resurrected with Christ. Therefore, we live by the power of Christ in us. Sin has no place in there. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ. And as ambassadors, we have been tasked with the work of building bridges of love to the world so that they may know Christ as their Savior, too. Sin is always crouching at the door. It has been since the beginning. It's waiting to attack. It's waiting to bring down the Christian so that the name of the Lord can be brought to shame as well. It is our task to fight it and to master it. Now we're on our own, that is an impossible task. But with Christ, all things are possible. By the power of Christ, we fight temptation. And even when we give in, when we sin, we have redemption and forgiveness if we remain in you're not yet a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to him today, if you'd like. Find in him the power to overcome sin. You know, that power is not a magical thing. It's not something that uh, will just poof be gone from our lives. It's a lifelong struggle. But if we are in Christ, then the outcome is assured, even if we struggle along the way. Because as the Lord told Paul about his thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient for you. We want to invite you to, by faith in Christ, walk across that bridge 
that God built for all people. You do this by putting feet on your faith. Take your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And take action. First, by confessing him as your Lord and Master and God's Son. And next, by obeying his command to die to yourself, be buried with him, and raised again to newness of life. That's what the water of baptism symbolizes. Death to self, burial with Christ, and resurrection to a new life. A life that is filled with joy. A life that is filled with hope. A life that is filled with power. Why power? Because God promised the gift of his Holy Spirit to dwell within us and empower us daily as we walk with him. That gift is all of ours, Christians as well as those seeking Christ, if we will only take advantage of it. Christians, don't give in to envy. Don't give in to those things that will tear apart the bridge that God has built. Instead, lean into those things that will build it back up. Lean into the power of God. And when we do that, I think we will be amazed. We shouldn't be, but we will be. We will be amazed at what God can do through us. The invitation is yours. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.